We have a church member who for the past 30 or so days has been embarking on a gratitude journey. And every day she has posted a picture with a little caption saying the things for which she is grateful in that picture. And last week, she posted this picture and made the note that in the moment that that picture was taken years ago, she was not very grateful. But that she was going to, years later, be able to find the things that had happened since and that, that she didn't even know were going on in that moment for which she could be grateful. You know, when we have this attitude of gratitude, it's like relationships are simpler. Life just seems to be more content. Gratitude is one of God's most natural medicines for a content life. But if you're anything like me, gratitude is something very easy to dismiss when circumstances in our life in our world, with our bodies, with our friends, with our family, when it doesn't seem that we can find ways to be grateful. Some of you right now entered this space and you're sad, you're grieving, you're stressed out to the maximum, you are worried and anxious, and it doesn't seem like it's, it's really an opportunity or a day to be very grateful. The Apostle Paul tells us, though, we're supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. And then he says, for this is God's will for you, for your life in Christ Jesus. Like, have you ever asked that question, what's God's will for my life? God's will for you is to give thanks in all circumstances. The bad ones, the miserable ones, the stressed out ones, the joyous ones, the wonderful ones in all circumstances. How in the world are we supposed to do this? As, as Ashley just said, it's something we have to practice. And so over the next month, we are gonna be looking at what are those steps on the gratitude path? And today, we're gonna look at the first step. It's pretty simple, it's just being aware. Being aware, looking around us, taking an opportunity to rest and see that actually God is really good. And there is in the midst of a world where it might seem like there's a lot of not good going on, that God is at work. God is present. And God has a will for all of us to be grateful So today, I'm going to preach on Psalm 24, which comes right after our beloved 23rd Psalm. So I think it sometimes gets overlooked. So the 23rd Psalm is, the Lord is my shepherd. And in the 24th Psalm, we're going to see that the Lord is our king. Now, I've never, ever just preached on a psalm. I've always been uncomfortable with just the psalm, and so I would kind of bring in a, a good gospel story or an Old Testament story, and, and I just felt compelled to stick with just this psalm today. But because it is a poem, uh, my sermon is going to sound and look a little different for all of us. Before we approach this text, will you join with me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, whatever attitude we came in with this morning, whether we are full of belief in you, whether we are full of grief for our life, whether we are full of doubt, whatever it is, God, may your Holy Spirit fill this place 
May it provide for us in these moments of worship before you whatever it is that we need, whatever it is that you know that we need, God, that we might be able to give thanks in all circumstances. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it, for he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. The first time I ever remember going to a mega grocery store, I was in the third grade. My family had just moved to Tampa, and so my mom put me and two of my sisters, and she was pregnant with my third sister, into the car. We were going to head a little bit north of town to go to a grocery where she said we were going to save some money, and it was called Pack and Save. And the reason you saved money is because you had to pack your own groceries at the end. So I walked in. I had never been in anything but like a, you know, a, a Piggly Wiggly or in, on the West Coast it was called Vaughn's Market. And I, and I see these, this food is just in boxes, floor to ceiling. This is before Costco or Sam's Club. And, and I'd never seen such amounts of food in one place. And at the end of every one of the aisles, they were giving away samples. So we get to the produce section. And I'd never been to a farmer's market. I couldn't believe it. I passed things that were furry, things that were fuzzy, things that had spikes on them, things that were purple and orange and, and burgundy. And then at the end of every one of the fruits and vegetables were these barrels, these wooden barrels. Some of them had nuts in them, walnuts, pecans, whole, the whole ones. And then there was this one barrel, and it was filled with these wrapped sesame candies. And I remember as I walked by it, I mean, the mood of the store had been to hand out samples. And I remember thinking, this is just like that bowl of lollipops on the way out of the pediatrician's office. So I grabbed a handful and put them in my pocket. We're leaving and packed our groceries. We get in the car and I'm sitting in the back seat driving away. I pull out one of the candies and begin to unwrap it. And you all know that the reason candy wrappers make noise <laughs> is so that parents become aware that you're eating them. And my mom hears that crinkle, crackle, and she looks in the rearview mirror. What are you eating, Emily? I said, my candy from the store. Who gave you the candy? No one gave it to me, mama. I took it. It's mine. And she, with a very terse and angry face, turned the car around. And she began to tell me what we, I mean me, was about to do. That I would walk into the store, I would find the store manager, and then I would pay for the piece of candy I had opened and returned all the other candy because, Emily, that candy is not yours. My mom, in this moment, she taught me this moral that you are not allowed to take that which you do not own. 
She made me aware that this was kind of part of the way the world works. And as much as I really believe, and to this day, I will not take something from a store that I have not paid for, I certainly have not remembered that that which is not my own, do I get to call mine. That money in my bank account, it's not mine. My family, it's not mine. My children, not mine. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. It was February 1942 in Northern California. It had just been about a year since the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. All of those of Japanese descent, whether they were born in Japan or born somewhere else, were ordered to be sent into internment camps. Born and raised in California, a young girl named Alice, she grew up on a farm with her parents and her younger brother, Harry. In February, her father had turned up on a list of city leaders because he had just been nominated to be the chairperson of the Japanese Farmer Association. And so the FBI came and they took him. They took him away for questioning. The family had no idea why, where he went, or how long he would be gone. And then weeks later, the family was given a notice. They needed to pack everything and be out in 12 days, and they were told, take only what you can carry. So they got onto buses that had been blacked out, and there were rumors spreading amongst all the very scared people that they were going to be sent back to Japan. And Alice and Harry and their mother, they had never even seen Japan. And so they get to this place where they are to be staying for a while, and Harry tells his mom, I'm hungry. And Alice, as she tells the story, remembers being so angry at her brother right then because that was the only time in all of this ordeal that she saw her mom cry. And her mom said, children, I'm so sorry you have such a bad mother who forgot to pack you food. So Alice, she went to see if she could find some food so that she would get her brother to be quiet. And it was like the crowd kind of parted for her and she saw this, this white woman standing there with a tray filled with sandwiches and tea and juice. And Alice said, excuse me, ma'am, is that for sale? And the woman said, no, this is for you, take some. But we don't know you, Alice said. The woman says, I am a Christian friend. 
So Alice took some juice and a couple of sandwiches and brought them back to her family. Well, Harry, the young boy, immediately grabs his sandwiches and starts eating. And then the mother realizes what's going on and says, where did you get this? And Alice said, from this white woman. She says she's our Christian friend. Alice's mother said, that's not possible. We're Buddhist. We don't know any Christians and they're not our friends It is because of white people that we are doing what we're doing now. Alice went back to the woman and said, we don't have any white Christian friends. And the woman smiled and said, well, you do now. I'm a Quaker, and I don't think what's happening to you is okay. The family stayed in the camp for three years. They were reunited, and they were went to Idaho because Idaho farmers were willing to hire people of Japanese descent. And after living there for a couple of months, Alice met a new friend, Sarah, at school. And Sarah invited her for a sleepover on a Saturday night. Well, of course, Alice's mother said, why do you need to go sleep in someone else's bed? You have a bed here. But she said, mom, she's my Christian friend. And she let her go. Well, Alice loved church that day, and her mom let her continue to go back to the church week after week, and Alice eventually got baptized and became a believer in Jesus. When the family moved back to Northern California and they were reunited with their dad, they all went to a church and they all ended up becoming believers in Jesus. That woman, Alice, she grew up and married and she had four sons. And one of those sons, is now the former Columbia Theological Seminary professor, Roger Nishioka, and the senior associate pastor at Prairie Village Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. And y'all, he has changed tens of thousands of lives. One woman, a tray of sandwiches, some tea and some juice. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The first time I made a hospital visit after coming to Austin, Texas, I went to see the husband of someone that was on my pastor nominating committee. I had met Buzz Buzzard once or twice and I had been warmly greeted by his wide grin and his compassionate heart and I had heard stories about him as I was actually beginning to come here because he had been falling sick and, and not doing that well, and, but I didn't really know him. And so I show up to the hospital, and in this day that I was there, at the moment, Joan was not there. And so I walk into the hospital, and I am ready. I am ready like a good pastor to have my prayer with him and to have my questions and to make sure that he is cared for. And I walk in, and then Buzz has a different agenda. He begins to tell me, about all the people he has met, all the nurses, the technicians, he begins to tell me about all the other people that are in the hospital who are in such worse condition than him and how he has been praying for them. 
And then I say to Buzz, it's time to pray. And he grabs my hands. And as I begin to say a prayer, oh no, Buzz begins to pray. And he prays for the hospital staff. And he prays for his friends that he has met there that are struggling. And he thanks God for the way that God is so alive and present. And he thanks God for his wife. He thanks God for me. He says, amen. And I look at him and I say, it's my turn to pray for you. Buzz was so aware of God's presence in a moment when really it should have just been about him. In that moment, Buzz was making sure that the king of glory might come in. He kept his head aware of the way that God was at work, even in a situation that, that it seemed like maybe God wasn't at work. He made, in that moment, he made so much room for God that, that no one that was around him could not feel the presence of the king of glory. Maybe the reason I sometimes fail to be aware of God's goodness and presence is that my head is, is lifted up or looking down to the wrong things. I'm, I'm focused on what's going on with myself. I have my head locked into a screen. I look and I see only what is undone. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. What would happen if in each of our spaces that we go back to this week, our families, our schools, our workplaces, our groups, our committees we serve on, what if each of us was to be aware that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it? That what the Lord requires is clean hands, pure hearts. Lift up your heads that the King of glory, our Lord Jesus, might come in. May it be so in my life and in yours. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, help us to find ways to see you, to be aware of your presence. Help us to put aside our worries and our anxieties and our grief and see that you are our king of glory. You are the Lord of hosts. That this is your world. In Christ's name, amen.